so this is the first Kubrick film that yeah. we are doing. I think that it might be the first one that I've seen, which is surprising, I know. I mean, it's not surprising because it's me, but <laughs> he's done a lot. Um, but I know a lot about this movie. Like, I feel like I've seen most of the iconic scenes, and I know a lot about his other movies, too. So it's not like I just have no knowledge of him yeah, whatsoever. You're not, you're not going in blind. Yeah. Which would have been very interesting. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is such a famous movie that, like, so much of it is iconic. Like, here's Johnny. Yeah. Which was actually an improvised line by Jack Nicholson. Yeah, that apparently uh, Kubrick didn't even understand the reference to. <laughs> of course he fucking didn't. A fucking nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I actually, like, watched quite a few videos and looked at quite a few, um, like, trivia facts about yeah. this, so I feel, like, pretty well armed. Uh, I don't know how you want to, like, break it down, though. Do you just want to start from the beginning and do yeah. all of our notes first? Yeah, let's just, let's just do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I'm Lena. I'm Jackie. And this is Why Haven't You Watched That? So, going into this, I knew, uh, I've seen the elevator blood scene, the here's Johnny scene, I've seen a lot of the ones where Shelley Duvall is freaking out, um, you know, the, the scenes with Danny, they're like, come play with us, um, come play with us, Danny, (laughs) come play with us, that's actually a pretty good, creepy (laughs) rendition of it. Thank you, I tried. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yeah, so I knew a lot about about it going in. So, yeah. So I, as I've mentioned on the podcast before, I was a huge Kubrick fangirl back in the day. So film school me is like, this is your time to shine. Get it, get it. And like, <laughs> but yeah, that, yeah. Is, that is one thing I did not know what The Shining meant until yeah the movie, and I'm surprised that they said it in the movie. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know that it referenced anything specific. Yeah, it like even then it's still like, well, why are you calling it Shine? It doesn't why, but it's not really explained because it, there is no way to explain it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think. I mean, there's there's just a lot in this movie that's just kind of like what. Mm-hmm. And I also haven't read any Stephen King. Uh, I've been meaning to, but most of the popular books are always checked out of the library. Like, yeah, and the hold list is insane. So. Besides the fact that, like, you know, it is like, fucking 1,200 pages long or something, and the font yeah. is, like, <laughs> nine point. Um, so I, I don't think I've read any Stephen King. I've read two of his novels. I've read Misery, and I've read The Long Walk. Um, I haven't read The Shining, actually. And I do know that Stephen King, he wasn't, like, too happy with this mm-hmm. adaptation, cause it, especially with the casting of Jack Nicholson, because... The character is supposed to be someone who, like, is normal and then gradually, like, descends into madness. Mm-hmm. But he's like, Jack Nicholson already looks like a maniac. Like, everybody knows. Like, he had just done One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest before this movie came out. And Stephen King was like, everyone's gonna know this guy's gonna be a lunatic. I mean, just look at him. And yeah, so he wasn't happy about that. And I know that the script was a lot different from the novel. And from the very beginning, I mean, he's a jerk. Yeah, you, you have 
Shelley Duvall saying, or Wendy saying that, you know, he hurt the kid, and, oh, it's an accident, he was an alcoholic, but you can tell just in the way that she's trying to be nonchalant about it, trying to pass it off as, oh, it's just one of those things, that it's kind of a big deal. And his posture and his interview and just, like, the way that he speaks to the kid and to Wendy, you can just tell that he's a jerk right out of the gates. And I don't know if that's a good decision or not because of not knowing the source material from the novel, but you can't really see Jack Nicholson as, like, a good person. I don't know if I've ever seen him in a movie where he's been nice. Yeah. (laughs) It's not, it's not his thing. He just doesn't look, he looks like a dick. So, like, he looks just like a douchebag. Yeah. Um, and he probably, I mean, I mean, I don't know him, but honestly, he probably is a douchebag. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he might, he says about this movie that Shelley Duvall had the hardest part in it, and noticed that, I guess. Yeah, it was good of him to, like, even notice the fact that, like, Kubrick was, treating him perfectly well and Shelley treating Shelley Duvall like shit and making the crew treat her like shit in order to Mm -hmm. quote-unquote get a better performance out of her Mm -hmm. which is just so fucking condescending and it's like if she's really doing that bad of a job just fucking recast her (laughs) you know I I don't think that they thought she was doing a bad job yeah I know just trying to push her to yeah it's her limits you know it's just I really I mean Again, like I said, I was a Kubrick fangirl back in the day, but, like, I find that sort of method of directing just really not productive, and it's, like, you can get great performances out of actors in ways that don't, like, fucking abuse them. It's trying to make method actors out of actors that might not be method actors. Exactly, yeah. And especially in a relentless kind of way like that. And, like, I know Shelley Duvall said she wouldn't, like, trade the experience for anything, but she wouldn't do it again. <laughs> and, like... Yeah. It's... I read uh, an interview maybe a year or two ago that she had done, and she went more into depth about how sick she really did get. And there was other things that happened in her life where she kind of fell off the map for a while, I guess. Yeah. But she definitely talked about this movie a lot as being something kind of terrible for her psyche yeah Um, like when you're already going through shitty stuff something like this is just gonna exacerbate any problems you might have had yeah like and uh i did see uh i was watching some trivia videos earlier and i don't know if this particular fact is true or not but apparently they just continuously fed jack nicholson cheese sandwiches because he hates them to make him more agitated which first of all who doesn't hate cheese sandwiches like there's literally just cheese on bread that's disgusting yeah it's not grilled or anything yeah like not even grilled cheese it's that's a completely different ballpark but then you know like i would be pissed off too if no one was feeding me good food because yeah that's my motivator (laughs) that's like prison food man yeah. She's on bread. <laughs> but I, I do appreciate the fact, and I knew this before watching the movie, too, that uh, they protected Danny, who the actor's name and the character's name are both Danny. They, like, re- really protected him from what was going on in the movie. Yeah, he didn't even know it was a horror film. He just thought it was, like, a drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and then that... he didn't see it till he was, like, 16 or something. I yeah. really appreciate that. I yeah, mean, I think that's great everything else aside whenever i watch movies like this or like 
anything where the kid is like in these situations where horrific things are happening around them or the kid has to cuss and be horrible or whatever or you know say really gross things like in uh kick-ass with hit girl and she was like what 12 when she filmed that i think so um and she's saying like the most profane things (laughs) uh i always appreciate when the cast and crew kind of keep the kids away from the actuality of what is happening in the movie because child actors have such a difficult time yeah you know (laughs) it's it's already hard enough for them and it should be made as easy for them as possible and not you know get like fucking traumatized or like psychologically scarred by anything they're doing exactly i know uh that actor who played uh sally draper um she didn't i i don't know if she's seen it yet she's like 18 now i think so she might have watched it by now but um back at the time they would not let her watch anything except her own scenes her parents and that's really good (laughs) that's such a stark contrast to people to to other parents in the industry like fucking macaulay culkin's dad or like it seems like the girl from stranger things her parents are crazy stage parents and no yeah so it's kind of worrisome so hopefully she has enough good people around her where she doesn't kind of go on that macaulay culkin type path although he's doing really well now so yeah <laughs> but <laughs> at what cost um, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah she, she i mean she seems like a sensible grounded enough person from what little i could tell and then i think this the actor who played danny didn't do anything else after this yeah i think i he think had, he like tried a little role. bit and then nothing happened it was just like oh forget it yeah which i feel like is the ideal kind of thing when you're a child actor, just maybe do, like, a couple things and then just disappear. I think so, too. And then if you do want to continue being an actor, maybe go into it when you're an adult. Exactly. Like, have a break, finish school, don't have to do all the on-set tutoring and stuff. Because yeah. Lord knows we don't need any more stupid celebrities <laughs> that are not educated whatsoever because they only had, like, one hour of schooling every week or whatever. Yeah. I know that's not actually how it happens, but... <laughs> And also, like, who wants to go through puberty publicly? You know what I mean? Right. Like, like the poor <laughs> kids in Harry Potter. Oh, my God. Yeah, those... Yeah. I mean, luckily, they all seem fine, but, like, it, it just... Uh, I wouldn't want to do that, man. Daniel Radcliffe was an alcoholic for a while, though. Yeah, that also... I mean, it, the thing is, something... A big franchise like that, and you're doing it through your entire developmental years, mm-hmm. it's gonna it's gonna fuck you up in yeah. some way. I don't know, like, I don't think that you could be just completely divorced of it. No. It, I, the more that I read about the industry and child actors and stuff, I'm like, maybe we just shouldn't have kids in movies anymore, (laughs) you know? I mean, it'd be a little difficult, but yeah, it's, yeah, (laughs) it kind of, (laughs) yeah. But I mentioned earlier, um, Jack being a jerk and... Even during the interview, you know that he's a jerk. Yeah. Did, would everything you... about him just seems so, like, ugh, what ass. <laughs> yeah. Like, would you hire him? The way that he was sitting during that interview, he's, like, all off kilter, off to the side, and he's just like, ha ha. And I know that it's not really, like, an intense interview. He's just gonna be the caretaker. It's not a big deal and whatever. Like, nobody yeah, but, else wants this job. But with the, the thing is, like, with the history... <laughs> 
exactly. of what's happened there. You and think they, they might be a bit more careful in, like, their screening. Who they hire, yeah. Yeah, especially when they're like, oh, he seemed normal, and then he just, like, went berserk. And then you got mm-hmm. someone in your office who already looks like he's on the verge of, like, snapping right then and there. And, like, maybe, maybe that's what they were going for. They were like, honestly, this guy looks a little bonkers, so, like, maybe he'll go the opposite way this time. <laughs> I you mean... Know? You know, there's a certain logic to that, I guess. And yeah. also, I, I'm guessing they are probably pretty desperate for somebody at that point. Yeah, most likely. This We have this writer who just needs some isolation, and we have these people that are desperate for someone to take care of the hotel, which, I mean, are they doing anything when they're there? They're just basically living there to make sure, like, it well, doesn't fall well, into a sinkhole or something. Well, they did describe... Uh, the job description at the beginning and I, I can't like they it would be kind of boring watching them do that stuff would be my yeah. guess it's not really the point of the movie but it's all just like very basic stuff like please just make sure the building doesn't explode <laughs> you yeah. know it's basically it's like make sure like animals don't roam inside you know yeah. that sort of thing so I feel like I mean you might not even need anyone to do that just send somebody in once it's the the, the on season again and make sure that nothing's happened and there well, you go <laughs> it might be i'm also like the snowstorms and stuff you might need to make sure that like you know i guess the pipes aren't frozen or something i don't know yeah if they don't it's explode just, or yes, something like that yeah like, just basic maintenance yeah but um the actual movie was mostly shot in england but the yes. exterior shots were the Timberline Lodge yeah, in Oregon? Yeah, and Kubrick was not there for that because he, at that time, he was like, I'm not leaving England. No. And he's like, <laughs> someone else can do it. And I forget if we talked about it in this episode, but Blade Runner yeah. reused uh, some leftover footage from this movie. Yeah. So it all comes full circle, man. <laughs> Which is crazy. And it's there's honestly a lot of connections to Harrison Ford in this movie. Like, first of all... <laughs> The Blade Runner scenes that were yeah. reused. Um, one of the sets was reused on Raiders of the Lost Ark. And throughout the movie, I was like, honestly, some of uh, Jack Nicholson's inflections and, like, his, um, just the way that his voice sounds, like his tone, I guess, he kind of sounded like Harrison Ford at times to me. And I guess Harrison Ford was considered for the role at one point, uh, which I think would have been really interesting yeah it would have been that would have been something i feel like it would have been a totally different movie it would have been i could and i think that it would have been more along the lines that stephen king was thinking though because yeah i mean harrison ford does get really intense in a lot of his movies and we've talked about before like the toxic masculinity in a lot of the movies that he's in uh but he does seem like that very charming everyman I'm really chill type person. I mean, he just, like, smokes a bunch of weed now and, like, cares about the environment and wants to fly planes. <laughs> so, like, he's that kind of persona. And then seeing him turn insane, I don't know. That would have been really crazy. I don't think that Indiana Jones would have done as well if he had been in this. Yeah, that's not because it was... Yeah, he definitely had, like, a reputation for a certain kind of, like, hero role. Like, mm-hmm. a, ki- a kind of, like, a jerk hero. And this would have been like such a different role for him to take yeah and i know that there's several other characters that were considered like robert de niro and stuff too yeah i think uh, Stephen king wanted john voight 
as well. Yeah, which would have been, I feel like, along the same lines of Jack Nicholson, honestly. Yeah. Because I can believe him as a crazy person. Or yeah. Laura Croft's dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I keep going on tangents because there's a lot to no, talk about and we haven't these even aren't touched tangent. on my notes. These aren't tangents, they're relevant. Uh, so I want to I want to talk a bit about Kubrick himself because as I said I was a huge Kubrick fan girl back in the day I have like several books about him I have like a documentary about him I have I literally have like an encyclopedia of his movies that I I never really looked at I just have it um yeah. like the first one of his films I ever saw was A Clockwork Orange and um yeah I feel like there's a lot to choose from in his filmography. Yeah. He also took a very long time to make all of his films. Once he had, like, built up a reputation for himself and everyone mm-hmm. knew Kubrick was, like, the guy, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna take fucking five years <laughs> to make this film and none of you can fucking do anything because I'm Stanley fucking Kubrick and I'm a genius. <laughs> and everyone's like, okay, Stanley. <laughs> Honestly, if I had any sort of power in any sort of industry that I ever end up in, that would be me. Yeah. He was in a very, very unique position because even a lot of times even very famous directors don't have the kind of leeway that he had. Mm-hmm. Like, because, you know, like, the studios need a return on their investment. And, like, the fact that he was able to have so much freedom is an extremely rare thing that he definitely took full advantage of, as you should have. Yeah. Especially and I someone- feel like... Hollywood back then was not so focused on the franchises and such that they oh, are no. now. So no, no. even, not... you know, stuff getting made now, everyone has to answer to the studio no matter how famous you are. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, franchises weren't really a thing at the time. Mm-hmm. As, as, especially the way they are now where it's, like, all anyone does. And, yeah. like, everything's got to get turned into, like, sequels and... yeah big cinematic universe and stuff after the success of Marvel and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, definitely a very, very different landscape for filmmaking today than it was back then. Especially because at Kubrick, he got his start um, as a photographer for Look, Look Magazine ba- after basically dropping out of school because he, like, fucking hated school. He was mm-hmm. like, fuck this. And he just, like, took pictures all the time and he wound up getting hired for local magazine and then he's like i want to make a movie and so he just like kind of started doing independent films back before that was really a thing because this was like the 50s Mm -hmm. and he just kind of like slowly very slowly made a name for himself he made his first feature film fear and desire and then that got him another feature which is the killing and then it went up and up until he was able to do pass the glory with kirk douglas and Kirk Douglas got him the director position for Spartacus, which was a huge film. And his yeah. first major, major feature film. And he everything just kind of, like, kept going up and up from there. So we really started out extremely small. Yeah. I, um... I can't even imagine, honestly, like, having things go that well for you. I know. <laughs> I mean, he was extremely talented, which was yeah. a, a major factor, but he he did get very lucky. Um, he did have, like, f- uh, friends and family who were able to help him financially. Um, though for a time, like, he a lot of uh, his early life with his first wife, he made um, a lot of his money just, like, playing chess for money in Central Park. Because <laughs> he really loved playing chess, and he was, like, extremely good at it. Um, yeah, apparently in one scene, uh, not one scene, but, um, they shut down a day of filming just so that he could play chess with one of the actors. Yeah. 
Tony Curtis? Thing? Tony Curtis. Tony yeah, somebody. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for Spartacus, you mean? Maybe. Or, yeah, because that was the only movie of his Tony Curtis was in, I think. Yeah. Um, that name is just sticking out to me. Also, I just looked up Kirk Douglas, and he is still alive, and he's 101 years old. Yeah, man. Go he's Kirk Douglas. <laughs> what is the secret? <laughs> Who knows, man? I mean, my grandmother, she's, like, almost 90, and she, like, smokes every day. Meanwhile, what? perfectly healthy people drop dead of heart attacks for no reason. So who the fuck knows? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, some sort of cell aging that happens for some people and not others, I guess. I don't know. It's like a mutant superpower, maybe. Maybe. Um, so, in my notes... I'm, I'm, because I watched this a while ago. In my notes, I'm just looking at them and being like, deciphering them. <laughs> uh, the doctor at the beginning that sees Danny after he faints, after he has one of his visions or whatever, yeah, is so weirdly familiar with him, like touching him. Yeah. In it's... a way, I, it's just, it was so bizarre to me. I'm very, like, kill bill sirens to anything like that <laughs> whenever i see it in movies or in real life i'm like why are you so familiar with this child right now you know yeah it it is a bit strange but i feel like it, there might be implication that like i like the thing because the thing is i know i think in the book he has these spells like somewhat frequently but in the movie this is the first time mm-hmm. so i'm not sure I don't know. I guess I like, feel like I feel like maybe the I think they were going for was to make her feel like maternal, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I, I know that it's also a little bit more normal a different back time. in the day. Yeah. yeah. Just I don't like it. <laughs> That's my official <laughs> verdict on that. Um I I'm just looking over my, my notes more like other things that were normal back in the day oh you know it's just one of those things he just threw him on the ground and like broke his fucking arm or whatever happened yeah yeah, yeah. i mean even in the film there it's like okay this is clearly bullshit yeah <laughs> right <laughs> and i also <laughs> i wrote a note also i was like uh put a seatbelt on that boy please yeah in the car <laughs> <laughs> oh the early 80s um <laughs> late 70s oh speaking of that how about danny's shirts <laughs> his shirts yeah no if you did you like not like notice like all his like like i feel like each character had like their own like silhouette of clothes and like he mm-hmm. was always wearing like the sweaters with like the collared like stuff underneath and the sweaters like would have like mickey mouse mm-hmm. or like some other like weird stuff on them and i feel like there was like a lot of use of cartoons in this yeah. movie because there was like a bunch of like cartoons on the fridge and they played like Roadrunner and there was a bunch of other stuff and part of me keeps saying how'd they get the rights <laughs> to True. use like Mickey Mouse on in a the... horror movie yeah it's I I was puzzling over that while I was watching I was like wait a second why did Disney agree <laughs> to that's let them point. use Mickey Mouse in The Shining that's a really good point I didn't think about that aspect of it but I was noticing Especially when they're watching the cartoons when everything has kind of fallen to shit. Yeah. And uh, he's already started... He's like, oh, I'm Tony now. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, I feel like it's there because it's one of those things where you try to slip into something normal. Yeah. 
even and though I, everything is batshit around you. Yeah, and the Roadrunner thing, like, uh, foreshadows the hedge chase scene. Yeah. Let's talk about the hedge chase scene, because I feel like, for the most part, this movie isn't really scary so much as creepy, but the hedge maze scene, watching it at nighttime, alone <laughs> in my room, was kind of terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> See, I watched this during the day, and... Yeah my windows were open and everything and it was just like a sunny day in seattle <laughs> so it was yeah, not the good mood to to be watching it in but yeah. it was a lot scarier than the rest of the movie directly i was i texted you when i, when I was watching it and i was like oh my god this kid is so smart he yeah, walked backward like, in his footprints and like brushed away and hid behind a snowdrift. that was really yeah. brilliant and he's supposed to be like five <laughs> yeah yeah he, he get the uh, the, a thing that's upsetting, too, like, I was looking this up, which was, uh, cause, so the script was written by Kubrick, and the co-writer was the novelist Diane Johnson, mm-hmm. and she, like, in the original novel, like, Wendy is much, she's not as, like, such a meek, frail, weak thing, and she's much more, like, self-reliant and calm and cool and collected, apparently, and, like, Diane Johnson tried to convey that more in the original screenplay, but a lot of that wound up getting cut by Kubrick. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so frustrating to me, because that would have been so much more interesting to watch than just, I mean, Shelley Duvall does a great job, but yeah. it, it just would have made for a much more dynamic character. And a running theme, a th- a th- but I get it from Kubrick's point of view, though, because a, with a lot of his work, if we watch any more of his stuff, you'll see, he definitely uses characters more as archetypes for the bigger themes rather than as characters with their own uh, like um persons you know what i mean yeah i see what you mean and i mean i can see that same thing being said for danny and jack and um hollander i think his first name is dick yeah um they're definitely more like tropes rather than people themselves but i will say i mean i didn't know who all made it out alive (laughs) <laughs> um i knew that i knew that jack died yeah that hilarious that shot <laughs> honestly <laughs> it was so jarring but and also like so funny <laughs> just, he's just like sitting there like it's what she deserves to give <laughs> <laughs> um but i i think that obviously there were some shitty attributes of shelly duvall's character that kind of it's really negative about women, but yeah. at the same time, she locks him in a fucking freezer. Yes. Well, she tries to originally, yeah. but she has to move him to the pantry. Yeah. Um, but she locks him away, and the only reason he gets out is because of a ghost. Yeah, like <laughs> if, if, if the if the Mark. hotel wasn't haunted, he would have been stuck in there. So yeah. like, <laughs> and she uses a bat to defend herself. She grabs her kid and gets her kid out of the the bathroom window she tells him you know what to do she sees that someone has come to the hotel that wasn't there before and she's like oh they came in a vehicle we can use that vehicle to leave so she is pretty smart and even though she's freaking out she's still thinking like gotta protect my kid yeah gotta get out of here we're gonna make it out so i do appreciate that aspect of it even though i don't i don't know if um that is so much of a Kubrick thing or just, like, leftovers from the King novel or, I, I think it, 
It must be, and also it has to, She that plot has to move along, like, she kind of has to be smart, she can't just stand there, Yeah. like, trembling, otherwise, okay, he kills her and he kills the kid, end of movie, like, that doesn't, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really, like, do much of anything, um, but yeah, uh, the hotel being haunted and the fact that it's mentioned that it's on an Indian burial ground, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> I am not altogether familiar with tribes in Colorado anyways, which is where this is supposed to take place. Yes. Um, I have no knowledge at all of what tribes would be in Colorado. Um, does it make sense that those two events are linked to the haunting and the burial mound? Because, like, a guy going crazy... Just, like, all the random haunting stuff doesn't have anything to do with indigenous peoples, like, no, at all. It doesn't. So, it doesn't. it's just sort of a thing to be, like, ooh, spooky, you know. Yeah, it's it's strange. And, um, jumping off of that, uh, I think, I told you about this, the documentary Room 237, which mm-hmm. is a film that kind of, like, uh, kind of gat, it doesn't offer any commentary on any of the stuff it's presenting to us, but it's, like, a bunch of, like, different theories about what the movie is really about. Famously, yeah. the one where uh, people are like, this is proof that Kubrick fil- directed the moon landing, and <laughs> he's leaving us clues in his movie, because oh he felt God. so guilty about what he did. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and one of them was how, like, this film secretly about, like, the plight of indigenous peoples and mm. uh, just a, a stretch again. And then I, I think like the director of that film was like, yeah, for a lot of these, I was just kind of like laughing because they were all like so ridiculous. <laughs> I just did like a really quiet home improvement. Myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I couldn't get through that documentary <laughs> to be honest. I think I watched like 10 minutes of it. And I was like, Nope. Well, it was also based on a real hotel in Colorado, the Stanley yeah. Hotel, and I guess it's supposedly haunted or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. And they um, also the the hotel they uh, shot it at made them change uh, the the room, room number is supposed to be two seventeen. They made change yeah. it to two thirty seven, which is not a room that exists in the hotel. Yeah. And speaking of room two thirty seven, I always I always forget I always forget the rotting decaying old lady part i forget it every single time i like i know it's an old lady in my head but for some reason my brain always erases exactly (laughs) how fucking gross it is and like like i was watching it and i was like oh no 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 make it to top please (laughs) it's so disgusting that is supposed to be the wife of the guy that originally went crazy right i think so yeah, I'm not that, sure. That whole I knew that something was coming. I actually hadn't seen that specific part before, but I knew that something was coming because I was like, I mean, obviously, you know, something is coming because it's yeah. the shining. Yeah. But I'm like, why are we getting some like tasteful bush shots? <laughs> and like, <laughs> why is this happening? <laughs> and then why I was is very any pleased. of this happening? <laughs> I was really pleased when it was so distressing for him. Yeah. So. Uh. Like, and also, that scene, too, like, um, have you, did you see the show Hannibal on NBC? Parts of it, but no, not really. A a lot of the set design for that show is very influenced by The Shining. Like, uh, the red bathroom scene, they used it at the FBI headquarters, and room 237 
uh, that set was heavily influenced in the episode with the guy whose kidney gets taken out while he's in the bathtub. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> they, it looked almost, like, it doesn't look exactly the same, but you can tell it was very heavily influenced by, uh, a lot of the cinematography in Hannibal was influenced by Kubrick. Yeah. Um, I was gonna point out, and I'm gonna make you watch this, I don't care if it's for the podcast or not, but <laughs> the bathroom scene we were just talking about with the woman... Um, that green bathroom reminds me a lot of a scene in Stoker. Oh, yeah. So, we're, we're definitely gonna... Yeah. I might just watch that and not talk about it for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's a good movie. You should watch it regardless. Yeah. Um, but I liked all of the bold colors like that, and I like the bathroom shots. I know that's a staple of Kubrick's stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I really like that, too, because I, I like taking pictures in weird bathrooms, because it's such a bizarre thing that humans make pretty. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is. Like, you think about what goes on in bathrooms. Not Nothing nice, usually. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, you know, you, you can, like, make it look more presentable if you try and make it yeah. seem very fancy. I love going in fancy bathrooms. You just, like, you almost forget, oh, yeah, people take dumps in here. You know? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah. And it seems like those are always the ones where they, you just, like, don't realize that there's somebody in the stall and all of a sudden you just hear some grunting and you're like, oh, no, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're gonna be so embarrassed. <laughs> uh, so, speaking of bathrooms, uh, I'm trying to <laughs> segue. Um, right, I don't I, have a, what were you gonna say? I don't have a segue. But I was going to bring up, uh, there's not very many characters throughout this movie. No. We have a couple at the very beginning, and then it's mostly just the family. But we do have Dick Hollander, I think his name is Hollander. I'm pretty sure <laughs> um, it is. Who talks to Danny and says, this is The Shining. This is a power that you have. I had it, and either his mom or his grandma had it, too. And I really liked him as a character. It was really weird uh, when they showed him in his room in Miami, which, another Florida connection. Uh, <laughs> it uh, never ends. And then there's just, like, the naked ladies on his walls and stuff. It's kind yeah. of like, it seems like a big theme of the movie is misogyny in a casual light. It's it's Halloran, actually. Halloran. Halloran. Yeah. Okay. Um, But he... I liked his character, but at the same time, this is a trope, correct? The, like, magical Negro Yeah, I would. I, I have that trope. written down as well. It's actually a bit of a thing with King's work, as far as I can tell, because I haven't read The Green Mile, but I've seen it, and that's definitely, like, a very, very, uh, very yeah. magical Negro movie. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 yeah, it's definitely something Stephen King does a lot, unfortunately. Yeah, and that's really bizarre, um, but he's from Maine, and there's mostly white people up there, so yeah, I feel like... Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I feel like they just don't know what to I mean, do with people that aren't white. Yeah, I mean, it's not, he doesn't treat the black characters badly, by any means, but it's just yeah. kind of like an a, a unfortunate... I mean, as far as racist tropes go, it's not the worst one, but, like... <laughs> At least like, if you're like, gonna have a racist trope, it might as well be magical Negro, you know? Yeah. But, like, it's... I feel so weird saying that word, but whatever. <laughs> I do, too. I mean, it's just... It's, it's not a slur, it just sounds wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, 
it definitely is like a positive stereotype. Yeah. But positive stereotypes are still stereotypes. Exactly. Uh, yeah. For a reason, like not for a reason that like a good reason, but like it's still called a stereotype because it's still you know not good. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that does suck. But at least it does give us a little bit of diversity in the movie. Like yeah, I mean, apparently the character it was almost cast as a, uh, a white guy almost got cast as that character actually even though the character in the novel is also black they almost cast a white yeah. man i forget who it was and then he wound up dropping out and then uh the actor who plays him in the film got cast it's like why like kubrick didn't have a lot of uh, there weren't many black people in his films so let's just point it that way. yeah they're, they're they're thin on the ground in kubrick movies mm-hmm. I think in Eyes Wide Shut, you can see a couple black people in the background. I think that kind of, like, is the extent of it. I think this is, like, the only, as far as I can remember, this is the only, like, black character that has any lines in any Kubrick movie, which is it's not harsh. great. Not yeah. great. Yeah, it's pretty sucky. And then it sucks so much because you're like, he knows something bad is going on. He has some sort of connection with Danny, so he knows that, like, Danny is seeing these things. And he's going up there to help them the radio is broken he can't get through to them he's like i'm gonna go up there and help them because they need help yeah and then as soon as he gets there he gets axed in the tummy yep and it just sucks so bad (laughs) and he doesn't he doesn't die in the novel either he just gets wounded what yeah (laughs) ah that pisses me off so much because i feel like we talked about this in psycho like oh would you really die from something like that because i mean i feel like with an axe it's like blunt force trauma plus yeah. something sharp, so it's yeah. hard. Honestly, to Honestly, I feel from like that. something like that happens. Even if you don't actually die instantly, you probably fucking pass out or something. Yeah, you'd you suffer know? a lot. Yeah, and they would have to get him off the mountain somehow, and I don't know yeah. how. They and I'll be I, and honestly, that's not what Wendy's gonna be thinking about. She's gonna yeah. be thinking about getting out of there, not helping the guy who's dying on the floor. You know. Well, in the way that it's shot, I think that we're meant to to know oh he's dead yeah instantly or whatever but i think in the, the novel movies. it's a croquet mallet right I, it's maybe. a different weapon in the novel probably i don't know i didn't i didn't look that much into it <laughs> and yeah. i also haven't read it like i said yeah so i could see if it was a different weapon how there would be survivors but that's just a it's just it's a bummer it is yeah <laughs> especially and, knowing that he lives in the novel that sucks i know and like kubrick also like like Stephen King had his own script for this, and yeah. Kubrick did not even read it, because he's like, I don't think Stephen King's a very good writer. Wow. And, like, I mean, because it, like, I've but read yeah, a couple of his, his books. source material. I like. know, but he, he was like, oh, but he has, like, a good idea, I guess. I mean, I could use it. I don't know. And, like, <laughs> Kubrick was kind of a dick. And, <laughs> and then Stephen King made his own miniseries for The Shining that was more, like, that kind of adaptation that he wanted, which I have not seen. But yeah, that wasn't, that's not fair. That's not fair, Kubrick. I think Steve, I mean, I only read two of his books, but I think, I think he's actually a much better writer than people give him credit for. Because, like, there is that whole thing, it's like, oh, this person's popular, they're a popular author, they've written, like, so many books, they can't possibly be that good. And then I read, I was like, I was really impressed with, like, how artistic both of the novels I read were. Yeah. And how, like, how like, the prose was, like, beautiful, and I was like, oh, okay, I get it now, I guess. I mean, I'm sure they're not all gems. The dude's written, written so many. Lot. He, I know, cause like um, 
And a lot of what he's written was fueled by cocaine. Hey, I was so. just about to mention that. He doesn't remember <laughs> writing Cujo. Yeah. Uh, there's, like, a bunch of novels he doesn't remember writing at all. Uh, and I think a lot of the themes with this one is his own fears about himself, too. And, like, uh, in the novel, like, the alcoholism is delved into a lot more and, like, mm-hmm. ad- ad- the addiction and stuff. And I think there is something to be said because a lot of this movie feels scary because it feels, like, so personal. Because yeah. it feels like someone, it does feel like a metaphor for someone going through addiction. Yeah. And lashing out and abusing their family because of it. And all of those claustrophobic camera angles and the isolation and it being strictly within the family, a very small cast, all of that contributes to that yeah. feeling. Um, yeah, I was going to say, uh, I feel like I've seen a lot of stuff that's been adapted from Stephen King things. Yeah. And I might have re- read a couple of his short stories. I honestly don't know. But what is your favorite Stephen King adaptation? I, adaptation? Oh, man. I don't even know. Would it know. be this? Or... Uh, I mean, because, I mean, I do, I, 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 I guess, I don't know. Because, like, I, I, Misery is really good. I have that on our list, actually. Um, but I also haven't seen a lot of them, and also I can't compare a lot of them to the novels, because I haven't read most of them. True. Um, I, I mean, this, off the top of my head, this would have to be it. Just be, But I, it's so unlike the novel as well, so it doesn't feel fair. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I really like the Langoliers. <laughs> <laughs> Never saw that. I saw it as a kid on sci-fi, and I really liked that movie. I haven't seen it in a really long time. I'm sure it sucks, but I thought it was cool. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> uh, but off of that Stephen King tangent, um, can we talk about some of the scenes specifically, like the haunting scenes? Like, we already talked about yeah. the, the old woman. Um, Let's talk about the the blowjob guys. (laughs) Yeah, I am confused. (laughs) We're all confused. It's never explained. I don't know what that was. Like, why? Like, why this? Why is he in a dog costume? Why? Why? I don't... And then, like, why does she see it at that moment in time? It's just... I mean, anything sexually explicit in horror movies, I feel like, is, like put in there to just add this extra element of ick because yeah. obviously when you're scared you don't want anything to do with like sex especially furry sex yeah <laughs> god <laughs> it's like those 1920s people like they're they're ahead of their time you know yeah <laughs> i mean do you think that it was also maybe put in there as a very ancient uh way of thinking of like Oh, the gays. Yeah. And also, because, yeah. It, like, it's kind of homophobic, maybe. Yeah, because, like, they're already such freaks, they might as well, like, be wearing animal costumes. Yeah. Because, like, they're animals, I guess. Yeah. It's fucked up. Yeah, but also, like, why? Why? <laughs> why, why is it there? That, yeah, what does that have to do with ghosts? Like, is that... Is one of them supposed to be the man who went insane and killed his family? And was that some sort of inciting incident? was that some form of his insanity is that just another hotel guest i I don't feel if that's what they're going for it's not telegraphed very well no it's just like here's a crazy fucking creepy thing anyway here's the rest of the movie i feel like that's i don't know man 
I feel like there's probably some theories about it. Maybe there's more of what that is in the book, would be my guess. Maybe, Maybe in the book there's a bit, it's in there and there's a bit more of an explanation for it. I don't know. But in the movie, it just, it, it's just like, what the fuck? If, yeah. <laughs> it also, it also feels like a bit of like for, the foreshadowing with the scary erotic stuff that Kubrick does in Eyes Wide Shut. Not that, there's nothing exactly like that in Eyes Wide Shut, but it, it feels like that same kind of vibe that Eyes yeah. Wide Shut has. Yeah. I dislike anything in horror movies that does have to deal with sex just because like of my own personal feelings about some things. Yeah. Um so I definitely was like what the fuck is happening here <laughs> especially since every other instance of our our supernatural stuff in this movie has to do with the murderer and his family and then just the grander scheme of the hotel itself in its yeah. heyday so it, it was just a very random it feels out of place almost yeah. It feels like we walked into a different movie by accident, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, the rest of this stuff that is haunting. I also forgot the bit with the skeletons at the end. I had completely forgotten about that part. The skeletons? Yeah. At the end where Wendy walks back in, and then there's like a- Oh, when the- like- it's like the inverse of the scene that Jack sees when yeah, exactly. everybody's just dead. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and like everything's all blue and shit. I also yeah. completely forgotten about that part. And it, it's also like kind of interesting because I feel like a lot of horror films they either do this thing it's like are they just insane or is it really haunted? But this movie is like yes <laughs> to both. It's like every yeah. you're insane and yeah, it's also really haunted and also yeah. there's really supernatural things going on but also like you've gone insane. And do you think that Jack also has the shine, like his son does? I mean, I guess it would make sense. But... I don't know if there's any indication beforehand, because wouldn't he have been seeing things during his interview? Was there any instance of him seeing things? No, there wasn't. I just... I just think it's interesting because I know Dick mentions that like oh you're seeing things are that are from the past and like seeing yeah and I and like it's clearly something that's inherited because he mentions he was able to do with his grandmother so part of me wonders if it's something that Jack like had but he hadn't really unlocked until he was in this very very haunted hotel yeah I think that that could be a, a potential answer to it and then also the fact that he was an addict and kind of teetering on the edge of insanity anyways in the movie at least i think that that's the sort of thing that in supernatural situations that spirits or whatever take advantage of like the people that are already weak-minded um or believing in them not saying that those two are the same thing but like if you have belief in something or if maybe you're not quite so tethered to reality as the rest of other people do it seems like those are the types that will have supernatural encounters yeah it makes sense <laughs> you know if i was a ghost i would yeah. go after if i was an evil ghost i would go after weak <laughs> people i don't think i'd be an evil ghost i think i'd be a nice ghost <laughs> i would probably haunt some people but just yeah. like for fun yeah just like pull a couple pranks 
Yeah. You know? It's kind of like slam doors in their faces, freak them out a little bit. <laughs> that, that wouldn't hurt anyone. <laughs> More like the, the ghost in Casper. Unless I was murdered, then I'd try to hurt my murderer. Oh, yeah. If, <laughs> if something bad happened to me to where I died, and that's the reason why I was a ghost, I would definitely haunt the fuck out of my murderer. <laughs> <laughs> Which, honestly, is probably a really good case for why there aren't, like, ghosts. Go- yeah. Like, why that's I- not real, because anyone that did anything bad would be haunted as hell well the thing is if you murdered someone and you got away with it and you're being haunted by their ghost how can you tell anyone because then they first of all they would just think you're crazy and then they'd be like oh so you killed this person and then you go in jail and then what are you gonna do you know (laughs) true unless you just like want to escape the ghost and think they won't follow you into the jail and then the movie ends and then the ghost is in the cell with you it's like hey man it's like son of a bitch (laughs) he's like hey how you doing (laughs) So I heard you got- thought. You thought. <laughs> they got good dental care in here. That's nice. <laughs> I'm going to make you crazy, though, so. <laughs> uh, um, I also was going to say on the supernatural aspect, do you think that by um, Wendy and Danny escaping, they broke the hold that the haunting had over the hotel? Or do you think that just because it's such a a bonkers place to begin with it just doesn't make any difference because i i I feel like a lot of the times um in this i feel like it's trying to say jack has been possessed almost with the spirit of the guy that killed his family before yeah and that's why he's trying to do it but then you have that shot at the end where it's like he was there Ooh, what does it mean? Yeah. <laughs> and that's weird too. I don't know. I think I they were like trying it. to suggest that like he was like reincarnated or mm-hmm. something like that. I don't know, but it's good you bring that because there's actually an alternate ending to this that actually was screened the first week. It was in theaters, and then Kubrick took it out, which is how much power he had. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The it, he all like anyway. I'll talk about the other things some other time, but um. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it was, what it was is, like, the original ending was Wendy and Danny are, like, out, they're in, like, a hospital or something, and then Stuart Ullman comes, is like, oh, man, we didn't find anything, we didn't find a body, there wasn't anything there, no, no, we can do, and then, like, Mm -hmm. it's, like, it's, like, revealed that, like, oh, yeah, they were also crazy, and they, like, knew the whole time, or something like that, which was, I mean, I'm glad they got rid of that ending, because it's, like, really... Like, the people that worked at the hotel? Yeah, they, like, they, they knew some shit was gonna go down or something like that. Uh, I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't I write like down that. it. Yeah, I don't like it either, so I'm glad. Like it. But it's crazy that he had that much power to be, like, it was been at theaters for a week, and he's like, no, bring all the copies back, we're getting rid of that ending, and then we're gonna release it again with this new ending. Like, it's <laughs> insane that he was able to do that. And then, the thing I was gonna mention before was A Clockwork Orange, like, there were, like, huge, like, uh, it... It incited a lot of violence uh, in England, and people were, like, imitating, like, the guys in it. Like, oh, you know geez. the basic premise of A Clockwork Orange, right? Yeah, and, I've um, actually read some of the book, but I couldn't get through it. Shh, baby. Shh. <laughs> Sorry, the dog. <laughs> and he got it pulled from theaters, because he was like, okay, everybody's, like, turning into- everyone's imitating the shit that's in my film i don't want it in theaters anymore because he was getting the ironic twist he was getting death threats about the violence other people were doing so it's like well (laughs) can you can you guys think about that for one second you're threatening violence against someone who you think has like inspired violence in others even though like uh, it's just 
it just seems kind of counterintuitive to me. But yeah, but he got it. He managed <laughs> to get it pulled from theaters, and so yeah, he wound up amassing quite an, like I said, unique kind of power that most directors and artists just don't have over their own work. Yeah, I was gonna say that's men for you. Just <laughs> that whole story. <laughs> it's like <they> said, <laughs> said in the tone of "That's pussy, babe." <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, I could not get through Clockwork Orange. I still own that book that I borrowed from my best friend who borrowed from her, you know, six boyfriends back, ex-boyfriends, and the shitty, like, vernacular cockney slash the own language that the author invented, I just couldn't fucking do it, man. Yeah, it's a little different when you hear it because you're able to glean what it is that they mean. Yeah, uh, but that movie I don't know if we should ever do because I don't know that you would like it. It's quite violent. It's it's pretty upsetting. Um, I've seen parts of that one too, but yeah, it's especially one scene in particular is very. Uh, nah. <laughs> the eye scene. No, uh, the scene where uh, is there a rape in it? Yeah, there is a rape. Yeah, in yeah. It. We don't see the details, but it is scary and then he tries it again with someone else later and she like successfully fights him off but um yeah and then there's another and then there's a scene the very beginning where a different gang is trying to rape this other girl on the stage and then it's just it's 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 a lot it's a lot the movie's a lot yeah i'm not a fan of sexualized violence i like violence um good old in any other way yeah (laughs) like no, I think that that is an overstatement. I I like stylized violence. Yeah. I like things like The Kingsman and, you know, the scene in like it's obviously, Iron Man 2. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's not realistic in any sort of way. Yeah. It or doesn't like feel... like kick-ass. Yeah, it's not... It's like not... It's over the top it's and it's It's over not the top, real. so it doesn't feel as, like, real. Yeah. So, the scene where Wendy like finds his quote unquote novel which is all work and no play makes jack a dull boy just over and over and over it's like this is what madness fucking looks like <laughs> like i feel like when i'm trying to write this is like what the inside of my head is and then when he's like throwing the ball against the wall while he's not mm-hmm. writing i'm like same <laughs> me too and i definitely like- related to those parts <laughs> And there's also, like, no one knows, like, there's a the rumor that, like, Kubrick actually wrote out, like, 500 pages of yeah. that typewritten stuff. Because, like, it, like, typers at the time, like, you could have had them, like, repeat stuff over and over automatically, but everything was, like, formatted and layouted so differently, and there were different mistakes on each page. And, like, Kubrick is the kind of director who would be so fucking meticulous about details he would fucking type out 500 pages we would just never see but at the same time it's like i don't i uh (laughs) i'm sure that like the last half of the stack was blank yeah or Or just or just had like the same like just copies or something yeah yeah and that's definitely something that you could get like an intern to do right what what do you yeah. what do you have interns for if not for making them type 500 pages well of the same kubrick was also such a fucking control freak about everything as well <laughs> <I know>. like <laughs> the fact that like there's a 30 minute documentary uh directed by his daughter about uh the making of this film is an extremely rare glimpse of him as a director 
And also, uh, his wife and his daughter did the score for this movie and some of the design. That's interesting. Yeah, the the music in this movie is... Is really good. The sound design is amazing. Yes, it's incredible. Especially because they're even, like, of course there are the big moments where you need, like, the creepy music, but there's also, like, creepy music just at normal parts and just kind of, like, makes you feel uneasy, like, the entire time. Yeah. And, um, so the score for this film is fucking great. It's so scary and creepy. And it feels like you're going insane listening to it. Yeah, it's very unsettling and claustrophobic and definitely gets to you. It's like the dog was really upset when I was watching it because there's a lot of really high, shrill notes. Yeah. And she was looking around the living room like, what the fuck is going on, Mom? (laughs) Help. Um, and I feel like we don't really need to talk about how many takes everything took, because that's what everybody always talks about with The Shining, and we all know. Yeah, we all know Kubrick did a million takes of everything, just like we know David Fincher does a million takes of everything, because they're both perfectionists, and... Yeah. And, like, I think, like, like wearing their actors down a lot, because there is something to be said for making someone do something so many times that it just becomes rote to them. And mm-hmm. then it becomes, like, exhausting to do, and, but then they go through to the other side, and then there's, like, something else there because they know it, like, it's, like, part of them so much that they just know it, like, deep in, like, their marrow. They just know the lines, and, like, there is something to be said for that, but also, like, yeah, it's not, I don't know. I've, I have kind of mixed feelings about that directing style, because I do really like Fincher, I do like Kubrick, but... It just, I just feel sympathy for the actors as well. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I do too. It's it's something that we've talked about a million times before. Just you gotta think of these people as people, not dolls. Yeah. You know. Um. I would be interested to see or know about. I guess. Sorry, this is taking me so long to formulate <laughs> this thought in my head. Um, I'm having whiskey. <laughs> you just mentioned it like an hour in (laughs) by the way i it's only like a little bit in the glass and i've just been like swirling it around and letting the ice melt because i didn't have those ice balls to put in there we do have the molds but i didn't have any made up um but i i would just be really interested to see the same sort of situation with a female director because as we know there are not very many female directors to choose from yeah. And I would just be really interested to see in any sort of future where a female director could have this much clout and yeah. power and be taken seriously because, you and know. be able to put her actors through the ringer like this without being called out as, like, a bitch or, like, yeah. too demanding. Like, no one really says that kind of shit about male directors who do this, but if female directors did it, like, they would get, like, this bad reputation as, like, like, harpies and just terrible people and people refuse to work with them because women are seen as more like nurturing and maternal mm-hmm. and like it is it's just it's just sexism sucks yeah <laughs> there's no hope for women that's the theme of the podcast yay <laughs> <laughs> oh fiona apple um yeah Stuff like that is like, oh man, I wish that I was a real hard ass and I could actually like hustle and 
have talent and get into some industry like this and be like, listen up, <laughs> listen up, tens of five is speaking. <laughs> it's time for y'all to get to work for the ladies now. <laughs> Listen, uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously I haven't directed anything really huge, and, like, the stuff I've done, like, I'm very much into, like, collaboration and, like, letting people get to stuff in their own time, but I'm also, I, at my heart, I am also a control freak, and I feel like if I- <laughs> No, you- What? No. Um, <laughs> if I had, like, the technical know-how for a lot of things, I would just, like- because the thing is, like, my own projects, I've done everything for, and, like, it's, I'm, if I had more confidence in myself is basically what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I would, I, I'm not saying I would be quite at, like, the control freak levels of Kubrick or Fincher, but I would be up there, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you could pull it off, though, because, I, like, you're still like, a nice enough person that even when you do those things, like, you don't want to say anything because you're like, but she's so nice, you No, know? people, people, <laughs> no, like, I, like, people are scared of me sometimes. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying this to, like, toot my own horn. At work, people are, like, legit intimidated by me. <laughs> so, because, like, because, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very different person at my job than I am in my normal life. And, yeah, I think um, we all are. <laughs> yeah, and I just, like, I'm not, I'm not here for nonsense. So, yeah. people, people can sense that. I'm, like, I'm here to do work and not, like, deal with your idiocy. And, yeah. And, um, but, like, I think I would be a bit more, I don't know, I, I would listen to the actors a lot more than I yeah. think Kubrick. I think you'd Ever be more did. empathetic. <laughs> I would, because I, I feel like the, like, that's what people see is the performance, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, like, one of the most important parts, and I think, I think everyone does have something valuable to contribute to projects. Mm-hmm. I want final say in everything, of course, but I, <laughs> I, like, I listen to people. Like, a lot of my stuff, like, actors have, like, brought up stuff we could do that was, like, I'm like, this is better than what I came up with, so go for it, and yeah. it's... But I, I want final say in everything, you know? <laughs> I think I'm pretty similar as well, but it depends on the situation. Like you said, at work, I'm I'm a much different person working-wise. But it's one of those things where, like, doing group projects or working in a team, if somebody else has more of a handle on things than I do or if I, like, don't want to do as much work or, you know, think that somebody else has a, a better... Um, handle yeah yeah i get what you're breadth of knowledge uh i'll let them take over and i'll just contribute but if if everything is falling apart (laughs) or if other people are wishy-washy or if other people aren't being clear or communicating properly i'm like all right so here's what's gonna fucking happen (laughs) yeah i think i'm the same way too because even just in my normal life of like if someone's there to like help it's something I don't want to do I'll be like all right you can just you can yeah, yeah yeah you can do it fine whatever but like situations where I have to be the one to do it I'm I'm good you know yeah. like I can I'm, I'm an independent woman <laughs> <laughs> I definitely am like if it's a situation where I'm around my friends I have a lot of friends that are very strong personalities and I do as well uh but I don't like to stir the pot or have confrontations so a lot of the time when they are being a little bit controlling or 
uh, freaking out about something, I'm always trying to, like, de-escalate the situation, and sometimes I think that I tend to let people walk all over me. Oh, no. (laughs) Because I'm just kind of trying to keep the peace. Yeah, I hear that. On other hands, I am like, no, excuse the fuck out of me. That's not the way this is going to go down. Uh, and it's always when I, you know, don't know the person as well. Yeah. Or I know that I know better. I don't know. It's one of those things, too, like with my anxiety. If somebody else is more anxious than me, I'm oh, yeah, extremely that, calm. Yeah, it's it's the mom it's the the mom override. Yeah. <laughs> like when I've you had... see someone else freaking out, you're just immediately like, "All right, well, this is what we're gonna do. It's gonna be yep. fine. It's gonna be fine." Because I I have friends as well who like um sometimes like I also have anxiety about things, and but if my friends are freaking out about something. Even if I'm in the exact same situation as them, I will, mm-hmm. I will, I will be the calm one, and I will not freak out with them. Yeah, a lot of the times, sometimes I do. But... And then sometimes it's like it's easier for you to also feel calmer because you're calming the other person. Exactly. Yeah. So you're like you're soothing them, you're soothing yourself. Everybody wins. Yeah. <laughs> so the moral of the story is, uh, get friends who freak out more than you do. <laughs> <laughs> True. Like I just am remembering. Um, there was a party that we had at college in one of the apartments that I lived at and um the police came to the door because we were being too loud and there was a lot of us that were drinking that were underage so we get a knock on the door and the whole party just scatters and there was like like half the party was of age and half wasn't so they are the ones that answered the door yeah (laughs) and I went to my room because I lived there and I was like if the cops come in I'll just say oh this is where I live. I was drinking. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't want a party to happen. But a couple of my friends followed me into my room. And for some reason, we decided uh, that it would be a great idea to hide in the closet. And I don't even know how the three of us fit in there. Because I had a lot of shit in my closet. So it was like me, the guy, and um, this other girl who, like, neither of them I'm, like, super close friends with. But they're, like, acquaintances through other people. And we, we would hang out. But I was freaking out a lot. I was like, oh my god, we're going to get arrested. Oh my god, we're going to be in so much trouble. Oh my god. And uh, our friend Ellen was like, no, just calm down. It's going to be okay. Everything is going to be all right. This is what's going to happen. They're going to just talk to the people that are out front, and they're going to say, keep it down, and everything's going to be fine. We're not hurting anything. Nobody's driving home. We're not causing any ruckus besides the noise. Like, everything's going to be fine. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) And then other times, I have been that person for people, you know? Yeah. I think it helps, too, when you have anxiety. You know what you would need to hear in that situation Mm -hmm. as well so you're able to help more that's true because sometimes chris tries his darndest to calm me down sometimes and i'm just like this is not anything that i need to hear right now you know yeah Yeah. (laughs) you're talking too much logic i need to hear (laughs) something different (laughs) (laughs) um so anyway, The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> I know that was a very big digression. Um, we, it's alright. We went so long on topic. I we deserved... did. Good for us. Good for us. We <laughs> should get a cookie for staying on topic for an a whole hour. <laughs> a cookie and a tangent. There you Yay. go. Oh oh, Speaking... oh 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 sorry. No no. I want to mention this. I almost <laughs> forgot. Um no. This is related to The Shining. Have you seen um the the trail the fake trailer for this that re-edits it to make it look like it's a family comedy 
<laughs> or no <laughs> it is so fucking good and i'm, I'm gonna link it uh, on the twitter at some point after we post this because it's just so hilarious and the thing is too with that it really showcases how much editing is really what the film is because yeah. you can edit anything to look like any you can give someone a shit ton of footage a director can be like all right here's what i got it's the editor who really has the control and we've talked about this before too with mad max mm-hmm. fury road and how like there's so many editors who are women and like it's really women who are crafting these movies because they're the ones putting it together and it's there it's it's but yeah it really showcases how you can make anything look like anything else even the shiny make it look like a nice fun family <laughs> romp <laughs> i love when people do that too um like the harry potter as a rom-com yeah um, or like teen movie the half-blood prince one it's hilarious <laughs> i'll have to show that to you after this too yeah but yeah i think that's one of the reasons why i like editing so much as well like i want to get into editing in the publishing yeah. world but i think that it's really awesome with with film and yeah. It Sound is. Sound editing. It, it, it's very tedious work, but, um... Yeah. <laughs> it's extremely tedious. I even say this as someone who hasn't done anything, like, super complicated, but, like, it, it is a lot of... A lot of waiting around, really. Honestly, that's in- the entire film industry. Hurry up and wait. <laughs> You're just, like, waiting. That's everything, actually. Because yeah. Because that was our, uh... That was our little mantra at my old job, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Because everybody wants it now, 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 and then they realize, oh, I don't have that ready yet. Hold on. Yep. <laughs> lots of waiting around on sets. Lots of... In- unless you're in charge. <laughs> yeah. Then you're the one who's doing something all the time. But if you're just, like, part of the crew, there's a lot of waiting around. Like, I was on a set for something I was doing. Like, I was arranging the props and basically kind of doing the set design. It was so much waiting around. Like, i do it, <laughs> and then i just be waiting and waiting for them to get to the location. I was like, oh my god. I'm getting paid so much money to just stand here, basically. <laughs> it's a nice feeling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's the dream, though, is to be the Pearson. The, the Pearson? <laughs> that's the dream, isn't it? I, the, the person that doesn't have to wait for anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the person that's in control. Um, the person that doesn't have to wait and that gets to be the one in control of everything. It's yeah. like, oh, well, I mean, sometimes... uh, everybody waits on me. It, it is nice sometimes to not have the pressure on, because I know yeah. with my second web series, I really did everything. Like, with my first web series, I had a lot of help from uh, my lead actor, because she knew a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, and it definitely took some of the pressure off, especially for something that was my first project, but for my second one, I did everything. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of work, like, a lot of work. It, it did satisfy my vanity and my need to, like, control everything and me being like, ah, yes, it was all me. <laughs> but, like, it's it, it for something that would have been more intensive, that would have been, like, too much for one person. Yeah. Yeah, understandably so. I mean, even when you just watch through all the credits when you're sitting in the movie theater, just... There's so many people involved. So many people, hundreds and hundreds of people... Because, yeah. <laughs> Just a taking a big breath. Um, I don't know if I have anything else in my notes um, that we haven't covered. 
I'm looking around. Oh, 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 so me, uh, me and my best friend Bonner, we have the inside joke of bash your brains in. <laughs> we don't lead up to it with anything. So I'm just gonna bash your brains in. <laughs> you gotta, like, really, like, emphasize the beat. <laughs> gonna bash them right the fuck in. Yeah, you say that, that was like, definitely all very creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, the thing is, like, when he's, like, being so crazy, it's, like, it's all, it's also, like, sort of funny too it just feels so comical because jack nicholson is just like the eyebrows and like just (laughs) his face is just it was hard to look at him this whole movie honestly yeah (laughs) i wrote in my notes that shelly duvall is too cute to deserve all of this so i know that was my stance (laughs) and also i have another note that says maybe the reason you're unhappy in your marriage is because you kiss like that yeah and Which also, you call, a... you call your wife a sperm bank. I mean... Oh, yeah. Oh, that, that was, was disgusting. Bad. <laughs> Anything that he said to the bartender was terrible, yeah. basically. It's just, like, all the worst parts of himself just coming out in yeah. those scenes. For sure. And I hope that it doesn't speak to... Uh... I feel like a lot of the times in movies like this, there's this point that's trying to be made of well this is just how men are when you take away the good in them they oh, all yeah. think like this yeah and I, I don't know if that's really what this movie was saying no i don't think that was um, a thesis or anything but it seems like a theme of it's like oh they're just of, they're just telling it like it is yeah you know? a, a lot of the time when someone starts to go crazy or someone starts to get mean they just devolve into saying really misogynistic shitty things like yeah, that and or racist like, bigoted things yeah it's, and also like the thing with that too is like it's like oh you can't hold them what they're saying when they're drunk or it's like it's like this shit yeah. isn't it this shit isn't coming from nowhere you know what yeah. i mean it, it's clearly some like people who say the n-word in times of anger it's like oh it's <sighs> like they're just mad it's like i listen i've never said that when i was angry ever i've cursed a lot the, it doesn't even occur to me to say that because it's not a word i ever think and it's like so yeah if it's a word that you use all the time you're more likely to reach for it when you're angry (laughs) exactly yeah so it's not an excuse and it's clearly or something that's already there if you've been brought up in an area or a family that likes to use certain words yeah then that might be you know all of a sudden you come out with something like that you might not say it but you've been brought up hearing it all the time yeah, or that, whatever yeah that can that can be it too because i know um like there are some words you have to like train yourself to stop using like there's a couple of words i've like trained myself to stop using mm-hmm. not not like racist slurs or anything like that just kind of like um like the yeah, r word <laughs> yeah i was about i was just about to say that was like the big one i had to like yeah make myself stop thinking that word and it's possible i i don't ever think that word at all anymore because you're able to just kind of train yourself out of ways of thinking if you try Mm -hmm. but a lot of people don't want to try yeah i i was talking to you uh like yesterday maybe about like old social media posts and like old blog posts and just what a shitty person i was and that word definitely came up several times and i've like deleted posts like that because i just can't even I can't even fathom why I talked like that, you know? Well, because the thing is, you hear, like, other people talk like it so much. Like, I know uh, my mom used to say that's gay as an insult yeah. all the time. and I like, still know people that say that. Yeah, and 
Like, I had to, like, I don't know if she still thinks it, but I've had to, like, get her to stop saying it out loud because I've told her how much it upsets me. And, like, she's like, I don't mean anything by it. It's just what we say. I'm like, yeah, but it's still what you're fucking saying, even if that's not what you mean. Yeah. But she's, like, stopped saying it, so it's good. The meaning behind it, not necessarily always the intent. Exactly. I've, I've had to do similar things with some of my, like, friends and family, too. I'm like, hey, you can't, you can't say that. That's not great to say. Uh, yeah, don't say that one either. <laughs> I'll just and, write you a list. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll email it to you. <laughs> and I think that a big part of it, too, was, you know, 10 years ago, the internet was not just, oh, we have it, everybody has it in their pocket, so everybody's on the internet all the time now. Yeah, yeah, so we yeah. have a much more diverse group of people on the internet now than we used to so before it was a bunch of lonely assholes that didn't have anything better to do with their time for example me (laughs) (laughs) and me and 4chan was the source of memes so they were all fucking terrible everybody was an edgelord everybody (laughs) was either a victim or had to be defensive as an offense yeah uh, and be like shitty in return so I feel like there was a lot of really toxic shit that came out of that era of the internet, and probably a little bit farther back than 10 years, probably like 12, 13, something like that. But there was not a lot of pure wholesome content out there back then, and it, that definitely poisoned a lot of people's minds, and a lot of people are still in that mindset, you know? See, when you say like 10 years ago, I know you mean like two thousand, like the late 2000s, but for me, I hear 10 years ago, I think early 2000s because I'm an old <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I mean, I'm I like, wait, no, 2008 was 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I still think of, like, 2003 when I think 10 years ago, honestly. Yeah, yeah it's... It's weird. It is weird. It's like... Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Human nature is a strange beast. As demonstrated in this film. Yep. So... We all go a little mad sometimes. <laughs> another another reference <laughs> to an earlier episode. <laughs> yeah. Right, that's all that's all I have, I think. Um so did you did you like this movie? I did. It's again like a lot of the classic movies that we've done, it's something that I don't feel like I'll feel compelled to watch again. Mm-hmm. Um but I liked all of the elements of it and I'm kind of sad that so much of it was spoiled for me beforehand because of knowing so much about it before. Yeah, that's what kind of sucks. Yeah. And something is, like, yeah, like, yeah, it does really suck having, like, films spoiled for you before you even see them just because, like, they become such a part of the pop culture landscape that it's inevitable you see something. It's like, when I first watched Alien, I didn't really care for it that much because I already knew... What the fuck was up? Yeah. <laughs> the the xenomorph already terrified me on the great movie ride when I was a child, so <laughs> it didn't terrify me when I saw the movie. Yeah. You know? I was already very familiar with it, so. Sometimes knowing the twist doesn't uh, lessen the enjoyment of something, but sometimes it does. Yeah. I don't think it lessened the enjoyment of it. I think it just uh, took away a lot of the genuine feeling of un- unnervedness. Yeah. Um. That I would have felt if I hadn't known anything about it. Yeah. 
because like when we watched the handmaiden i didn't know anything that was yeah. gonna happen yeah and I yeah was like, oh, no. <laughs> the whole time i was freaking out so that definitely is something to be said for that yeah yeah that's why people this... don't like spoilers true <laughs> Uh, this isn't, like, um, see, the thing is, I go through, like, weird things with Kubrick movies where, like, some films are my favorite for a while of his, and then other films are my- I think this was very briefly my favorite film of his for a very brief period of time before I had seen all of them. Yeah. Uh, but it's not my favorite, but I think it is a really great example of Kubrick as a director, especially in his later years, because the- the cinematography he he this is like basically kubrick in his prime almost and so like he's really at like the heart of uh, the height not the heart the height of his directing capabilities and i think it's a good demonstration of the kind of films he makes so yeah. i'm glad this is the first one we did yeah me too i feel like this is probably the most well-known yeah that's probably the one the most people have seen out of yeah. all his films yeah I think probably a close second would be... Uh, 2001? Yeah, maybe. 2001. 2001. That's the kind of movie you have to watch a couple times, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and... Hmm, I'm trying to think. Because I keep coming up with them. I'm like, I don't know if like a lot of people have seen it, but it's very famous. But it's like one of those things. It's like, why haven't you watched that name drop? <laughs> so I'm I would, sure we'll... I would say third would probably be Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, I was thinking Orange. Full Metal Jacket as well, and Doctor Strangelove. I think would be oh, those two true. would be tied. I, think. I keep forgetting that he did Doctor Strangelove. Because yeah, I that feel was like that is. Yeah, it, it's interesting watching his earlier films that are black and white after you've seen uh, his later films because he uses color in such a brilliant way in all of his later movies. That's strange to watch films made by him in black and white because yeah. it's like a, an essential component feels like it's missing yeah i uh, i read something that said the color red is found in every single scene in the shining yeah so now i kind of actually want to go back and watch and see if that's true <laughs> i'm probably like honestly probably yeah but yeah i think that that is a wrap we we stayed on topic really well yeah. we did a really good job i feel like yeah yes <laughs> Uh, so, while you guys are here, please make sure to follow our Twitter page, uh, YWT Podcast, and please rate and review us on iTunes, please, pretty please. <laughs> we do have a rating now, though. We got a five-star yeah. rating, so uh, give us five stars. If you want to give us less than five stars, uh, don't. Yeah, just <laughs> stay just, away. <laughs> just, just stop listening, you know. It's... <laughs> I'm kidding, Which I'm Mike kidding. told us was bad advice last time, so... <laughs> I'm just joking. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, thanks for listening. I've been Lita. I've been Jackie. This is the time that you watch that. <laughs> <laughs>